In 2004, my cousin Randy lost her daughter Angie to bipolar and depression. She has a Facebook page that helps honor her and remember her, and in so doing, really inspires and raises awareness for so many of us. I saw this amazing quote on one of her posts. It says, There's no way around grief and loss. You can dodge all you want, but sooner or later, you just have to go into it, through it, and hopefully come out the other side. The world you find there will never be the same as the world you left. That's from Johnny Cash after he lost June Carter Cash. It's true. Grief changes us permanently. It's true. I am not the same person after the death of somebody I know and love. And sometimes those changes are minor and sometimes those changes are major kind of like a scar. And yet I kind of hate that. Um, I mean, it's permanent, that's for sure. But I think for me, I'd rather say it's like a tattoo. I am the hippie Christian who cares and I have a lot of tattoos. And honestly, when I say that somebody who has a lot of tattoos would be like, yeah, whatever, pal. Um, I just have more than most people I know. And so, um, interestingly enough, I do have two memorial tattoos. The first memorial tattoo that I got was for my dad, and it was going to be a group tattoo, me, my sister, my daughter, my niece, and I were all going to go do it. Um, my daughter has come to the conclusion that she's probably not interested in tattoos. She likes them, but she's probably not interested in getting one. Um, not sure where my sister's at because she has them and she probably will get one again. But um, Emma and I definitely went and we got too late and we got it right above our elbow. And the reason is because when my dad would go to shake somebody's hand, he would pull his hand away and put his elbow out and say, too late, shake the elbow. Yeah, it was funny. And if you knew him, it was something he did all the time. So now when somebody sees the too late words on my elbow and asks about it, it becomes a tribute to my dad, who was the funniest human I know. And there's a couple close seconds, but my dad was pretty funny. So the second memorial tattoo that I have is pretty fresh. And it is three balloons. And they are the balloons that were part of a print that were on my mom's clown apron. And so I wanted Pimaima to live as long as I live, at least the balloons. And so 
I got them. And then my sister and my niece got them. And my brother, John, is getting them. And interestingly enough, that is all courtesy of a memorial gift. I mean, come on. How amazing were my friends who were my coworkers that decided in lieu of a, a regular, classic, beautiful memorial, they would give me a tattoo certificate because they knew a memorial tattoo was probably going to happen. And so I was able to share so that I could get it, Emma could get it, my sister could get it, and my brother could get it. And it's just a beautiful thing. Not for everybody, so I'm not saying you have to get a tattoo. Um, but wouldn't you rather have a tattoo over a scar? You know, that's the joyful side of me that always wants to look on the good side of grief and not the scarred, hurt side. But it's true. It's that lasting, it's that lasting memory that, I don't think that's the, the way that I want to put it. It's the lasting impression that grief has. And yes, it's our, our memories, but it is so personal. Interestingly enough, I was, as I was thinking about these memorial tattoos of mine, I thought, oh my gosh, why didn't I get, why didn't I get a tattoo after my father-in-law died? I wasn't tattooed yet. He died in 2008. And the first tattoo I ever got was in 2015. So I just wasn't there yet. And I will put out there for anybody on Team Harvin that wants to get a tattoo. I'm all about it. Otherwise, I have a really good idea of what I want, but nobody would want to copy that one because it's real, real personal. But if you want one, hippie Christian, who cares? And if you're on Team Harvin, you probably know me. Let me know. But grief absolutely changes us permanently. And anybody who's listening, if you've lost somebody, you know that it's true and you know the impact, and we can't get away from it. Each death has had an impact on me, and I decided I would just sort of reflect on that because that's good for grief, and that's how we get through it and how we process it and how we learn from it. I need to remind everybody I am not an expert on anything. I am not like educated to necessarily teach you anything. I just am somebody, I'm the hippie Christian who cares. I love God and I love people. And, and that's why I do this podcast. And I hope that through my personal experience and the knowledge that I have of the things that have happened in my life help you. But please know that there are experts and 
doctors and counselors and pastors and people with educations and degrees that you can get professional help from. If this helps your heart, yay. But if anything, I hope it helps you in a way that you seek further and certainly from somebody more knowledgeable than I am. So I just share my story. I looked at the very first funeral that I ever went to and it was awful in regards to just what an impact. My best friend's brother died when he was in ninth grade and I was in the seventh grade. I believe she would have been in the fifth grade. So we were young and it was a lot to take in. And I didn't know very much at all about life, let alone about grief. And so I was a little bit at the mercy of my mom, who at the time was on jury duty and wrote a letter to the judge, but could not get off. Isn't that awful? I mean, tragic. And I think my mom couldn't process it, quite honestly. It was a horrible thing. And so she certainly didn't want me in the way of our friends, but didn't necessarily look at it through the lens of children, you know, and a seventh grader and a fifth grader and how to process that. And so since then, I've certainly learned some, a thing or two, but I will tell you my mom cooked and cooked and cooked fried chicken and took the chicken down. And I remember her saying that when she brought it down, she just wanted so much to be of help and comfort to that family. And the dad who was just this amazing human being, one of my all time heroes, um, you know, as he hugged her and thanked her for the chicken, you know, my mom is crying because what mother wouldn't at the loss of a child. And she said, I came here to comfort you, not for you to comfort me. And he was just beautiful. Next were probably my grandparents. And I I think my first grandparent died when I was in ninth grade. And I think maybe that same year or close to this same, the next year, my other, the other side of the family, that was my dad's mom. Then my mom's dad died, like I said, very close to that. So I was in junior high when they died. And I think there was that thought process that they're elderly and, you know, you know, the cycle of life. So it's okay. And now that I think about it and I am talking about grief, I think it was the first experience of me minimizing grief and like maybe sugarcoating it, not sugarcoating it, but kind of, but 
I think minimizing is the right word is just pressing it down and, or somehow coping with it, that it's okay. And I don't have to feel sad because they were old. Um, I had an uncle die, um, and he was the first uncle that died. He was my uncle, Bob, and I loved him so much. He always made me laugh, always made me smile, always made me feel like a million bucks, like he was super happy to see me, that I was super welcome in their home, and he just was super funny. Um, no matter what, he just, I am smiling, talking about him right now. And I remember getting to the visitation and I think I had come right from work and so hadn't really thought hard on it all day long because I'm working and doing whatever. And I got there and there was a decent size line and I, of course there was, I mean, he, he lived in a small town next to the town that I live in. And he was an icon in the town because he was such a beautiful human being. And I got in line and heard my dad's voice and just started sobbing. I think it was at that moment that I realized the impact of death and it being permanent. I'm not sure I realized that it would change me with clearly the exception I wouldn't see him and that made me sad. But I think when I heard my dad's voice, I knew there before the grace of God go I and I certainly wasn't ready for that. And I felt so sad for the thought of that loss. But again, I was feeling sad because I hadn't dealt with the grief. And grief is that crazy thing that if you try to compress it down, it is going to spring right out. And so, um, in a little bit, we'll talk about crazy, stupid things people say. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting because I have had, as I continued through thinking about these deaths and how I handled them, I, I think I did my best then you know, I had a couple cousins die. And like I spoke of at the very beginning, um, my second cousin, Angie died and all of them left a mark and left, you know, a, a hole where they were part of who I was. And I think that in looking at the things that I said, the things that I did, you know, I, I certainly think I did my best in terms of how I expressed condolences to 
my family and how I processed my own grief. I remember at my cousin Mark's funeral, first of all, being completely honored to be asked to be part of the processional with their family. You know, I assumed that it was just going to be my cousins and my aunt in the processional, but they said, no, all of Mark's family, his extended family will come in. And I just remember feeling very honored to be part of that. And I remember the pastor specifically saying that everybody's going to handle this differently and people will be at different stages of their grief and to just be mindful of that and to be respectful of that. And I don't even know if I understood that. I just knew that it, it made sense because I don't often cry as easily as other people. And so that felt like a pass to me in terms of that's how I deal with grief. Again, I think that was a moment where I tried to squash grief and I'm learning. I'm learning all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be one of those people that break out into tears very easily. It's just not who I am. And um, again, grief teaches us lots and lots of stuff. So when I got to when my father-in-law died in 2008, I think that was the beginning of my grief journey because that one was really hard. And it was hard because I not only had my grief, I also had to deal with the fact that my husband had grief and my children had grief and it extended out to my whole family, but it, but it became part of my inner circle of the family I live with. And so I think that helped me begin to sort of understand grief and how grief messes you up for weeks afterwards and potentially even longer. And so I wasn't truly facing it and I wasn't truly dealing with it. I think there's part of human nature that gives you defenses to do that. And I think the sharing your story was a big part of a natural way to handle grief. And I have the most amazing sister-in-laws and mother-in-law and, um, they all come with a husband that becomes my brother-in-law and nieces and nephews. And so in that, there was a lot of healing. And so I think that just really helped. And so when my dad died, I just had no idea. I I had this expectation that it was going to be okay. And when it wasn't, grief owned me. I think 
part of it was an expectation that it was going to be okay. Similar to the grandparent thing, like, you know, they were elderly and that is the cycle of life, good long life, great, happy, full living, um, and it should be okay. And that's just not true. Grief is hard no matter what and under all circumstances. And I think, honestly, all the, all the deaths prior to that truly had an impact on my life, I didn't do the grief work. And there's work to be done. And when we do it, we're able to heal better and smarter and be more prepared when grief happens again because there's very few of us that will go through life without losing one person let alone most of us will have multiple deaths that we will have to grieve and the difference when my mom died on July 18th was preparation from when my dad died many sessions of grief share and grief share is a i believe it's a not-for-profit organization that lots of churches take on to work through grief and it's fabulous. I did a mini session called how to survive the holidays without your loved one with my niece and my daughter. And then that helped me so much start my grief process that when our church said they wanted to start grief share, a grief share group, and it was a 13 week session. Um, I said, I would be happy to help. So I went through the training which was not 13 weeks because we accelerated it so that we could start the 13-week session. So I did the training. I did the first 13-week session. I helped with both surviving the holiday sessions that we had. I did a second session, and then I did a third session. And so in before the third session ended my mom had died. I also had three weeks from the time hospice diagnosed her as actively dying to sort of prepare for that. And there was definitely some grieving along the way. And so that all of that helped me to now get to be in charge of my grief as opposed to my grief owning me. So I'm going to do the small commercial break right now. So stay tuned and I'll talk a little bit more about owning my grief this time. Everything I learned about grief and actually doing the work to address my grief and talk about my grief and go through all of the emotions, good, bad, indifferent, ugly, however they were, helped me process my mom's death so much easier. 
And so I think that is my message to all of you is that there are ways and tools, and I'm not just saying use the ones that I use. I just share what I have done and what has helped me. Quite honestly, one of the most amazing resources out there isn't published at all because it is humans. It is it is the humans that God puts into our life that help us. And when somebody else has grieved, there is that part of you that shares it because it's your story, like I talked about before, but also because it helps somebody. And what what I think I resonated with in the book that I have shared called Permission to Grieve. And again, this is a book that um, my niece Emma shared with me and somebody shared with Emma. And so when something helps somebody and you share it, like the good that comes out of it is amazing. And this guy, Tom Zuba shared it because this is how he got through things. And so again, like that's the beautiful thing. And it's actually biblical. So I bring up Permission to Grieve by Tom Zuba because it was a moment where, like I said, Emma shared it with me. So she had been comforted by somebody and then in turn was comforting me. And I say it's biblical because I believe it's from 1 Corinthians. It says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When we are comforted, we share that with other people. And it becomes part of our story. And in sharing our story and others sharing their story, we share that comfort with each other and we help each other. And that clearly is biblical. Job is a phenomenal chapter on how to handle grief and not really always exactly the right way, but it just shows the beast that grief is and Job's strength in his faith in God. And while he certainly questioned God, I get that more than ever because you're kind of figuring like, oh my gosh, I'm this decent human being. Why is this happening? And not to say that if somebody's not a decent human being that, you know, their whole family should die. I, I don't wish death on anybody, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. It's just when you are a Christian and bad things happen, sometimes you wonder where the presence of God is. Well, let me tell you, he's right there. He is the one helping you breathe. He is the one helping you do the next thing. And so Job, perfect example. There's tons of stories where it talks about um, somebody dying and where they buried them. Jacob, 
bearing Rebecca comes to mind. Rebecca dies in childbirth with their last child, um, Benjamin, and Jacob is so grief-stricken to the point that he favors Joseph and Benjamin, um, but probably more Joseph because, let's be honest, Benj Benjamin's birth was the death of his wife. So, um, And Jesus raises people from the dead all the time in the Bible, and when he does, there's always people mourning around him. And Jesus wept, probably one of the most famous Bible verses out there. And it's interesting because there's lots of talk about why Jesus wept. Like maybe he wept because he knew he was going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. Um, my brother Eric pointed that out to me one time and I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. But at the end of the day, he loved Lazarus. And Mary was sad and Martha was sad. And these are his friends. And when your friend's brother dies, you cry because you're sad and you're sad for them, whether you knew the brother or not. And let's remember, Jesus did and he was friends with them. And so it's so important to know that we have permission to lament. And lament is grief, but it is questioning and it is struggling and it is, it, it's that hard stuff. And I said it last time and I'll say it again because my friend Beth, who's so beautiful, said every lament is a love song. And it's true. We don't lament every death that happens because it's not every death that happens isn't as personal as some, but when it does touch our heart and we have lamenting, it's because it's a love song. It's because we love hard and we grieve hard and it's, it's a price that we pay. But again, I said it in the last session and I will again, because in Permission to Mourn by Tom Zuba, he says, grief is not the enemy. It can be a teacher. So I learn how to grieve the death of my mom or my dad or my father-in-law. Um, but I also learn how to handle grief on the other side of things as well. And grief becomes a teacher because we learn from the good and the bad. People say crazy things. And it's super interesting because just this week, a friend at work, Jason, came up to me and said, Hi, Chris. I just wanted to come see you face to face and give you a big hug. And I don't even know what to say. And I really thought that was excellent because it was just so honest and so compassionate. And he wanted me to know that he cared, but didn't know how to articulate the loss of your mom. And so 
I said, oh my gosh, I actually am going to talk about crazy things people say, and yours won't be one of them. Yours will be on the good side of things. But it's funny because people are dumb and we say dumb things, and I was the worst. I just do you remember Steel Magnolias, the movie where Sally Field plays the mom and she has just lost her daughter who play, is um, played by Julia Roberts and they're, they've just had the funeral and buried her and they said, you know, how are you holding up? And she says, fine, I'm fine. And then she completely loses it. And it is hands down one of the saddest movie scenes you'll ever watch. And even me being a non-crier, like legit sobs every time I see that because it is so devastating. And one of the characters... Um, played by um, Daryl Hannah, says, I just like to picture her at the foot of Jesus Christ, something to that effect. And she just stares at her and says, you go right ahead. I want her here. And there's such truth to that. There is such truth that most of the time, when we are in that visitation funeral mode, the person is at the foot of the cross. They are at Good Friday. They are not at Easter yet. They're not feeling the happiness of a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. They are feeling the sadness of the death and the loss and the pain and the hurt. And so people for sure say things like, how are you doing with good intention? But in tragic situations, well, in every situation, it just depends on the person. If somebody says, how are you doing? And you're not doing well, it's certainly going to be hard for you to hear from that person when somebody says, I'm not doing good. Or how do you think I'm doing? Like this just happened and it's awful. So kind of stupid question. Um, Nadia Bowles Weber, she's an ELCA Lutheran pastor. Um, go look her up on YouTube for grief. Oh my gosh. I think basically it's just give me something to eat or bring me a casserole or something to that effect. But it made me laugh so hard because she said, oh my gosh, she said, I just hate it when somebody says, you know, when God closes a door, he opens a window. She's like, yeah, well really show me where the open window is because I'd like to push you out of it. And so it's just, it's just funny because People certainly don't mean to say things that make you feel bad or annoy you or anything like that. And be compassionate on them because they're there because they care. They're there 
in a moment to show their condolences and sympathy. So even if they say things like just go for the gusto, I swear to God, that's the truth. Nobody did it at my funerals or visitations, but I was at a visitation when, when I got up to the brother, they're like, she just said, go for the gusto. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and yeah, I have to admit, it's funny. And so now rewind to when I'm in that funeral line or the visitation line for my Uncle Bob. And I hear my dad's voice and I start crying. And I realize that I am so sad that my Uncle Bob is gone and that I know that my dad will not live forever. And I know that my dad is sad and that made me sad. And that my cousins were sad and that made me sad. And I'm just crying because I'm so sad because I love my uncle Bob so much. And the woman in front of me turns around and says, I guess your family because I'm sad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that my Uncle Bob had friends and neighbors and other people in the community that were probably as sad as I was, you know? I mean, sometimes you have friends that are like family, and when there's a loss, it's equally as sad as if they have your DNA. Um, when my friend's dad died, I was as sad as if it was an uncle or a family member. So that I just was like, oh my goodness. And I'm like trying to suck it up because that's what I do. And I'm like, yeah, it was my uncle. And then she's like, well, can you tell me exactly what happened? I'm like, oh my gosh, now you're going to go straight into like the gossip. Like, does it actually matter how he died? Like it, I mean, Clearly, it wasn't anything tragic or controversial or anything weird or whatever. But, like, do you need to know if he had a stroke or a heart attack or what the heck? I was dying. And I almost got to the point where it felt comical. Like, I felt like maybe God was giving a little, me a little bit of comic relief because who asks these questions at funerals and who say who says these things i think that anything you say is both acceptable and not if you make a mistake if you feel like you've said something that sounded dumb or you wish you would have said something else, go back. I mean, I don't mean like go back in the line, but at some point reach out and say, Hey, I asked how you were doing and it was clear that it was a bad time. So, you know, three weeks later, I just want you to know, I get it. It's hard and grief sucks. And no matter how you're doing today, I'm here for you. And so, or pull a Jason like my friend and just say, oh, I don't even know what to say. I just am here for you. I just love you. Or I'm just sorry. Like sorry is a great thing to say. There's no right answer. Just show up for somebody. Just send the card. Just 
send text or a private Facebook message. Personalized things make a difference. In showing up, that brings me to all the nice things people do. For everything that somebody does wrong, I still say they showed up, they still tried, they did their best, and unless they're just a horrible person who came to say something mean at someone's funeral, well, that's a whole nother story, and God have mercy on that person, or as my mom would say, God help them. Anyways, um, the nice things, those personalized things that people do, I mean, come on, a tattoo gift certificate, pretty, pretty cool. Um, the flowers that you send, the plant that you send, the card you pick out, the words you write in those cards, the slinky. Yeah. How cool is that? And I'll tell you the story on that. My friend Aaron had a dad who made sure that all the kids in his family were always having fun and slinkies are fun. And so he was like, play with the slinky, play with it until it's wrecked. Who cares? Have fun with the slinky. So when her dad died and I gave her a sympathy card or showed her sympathy, she was so grateful that when my dad died, she wanted to take something good that she remembered about her dad and share it with me at the loss of my dad and something that was fun and would make you smile. And so she gave me a slinky. And when my mom died, we didn't work together anymore, but she mailed me a slinky. Like, come on. Things like that are just so amazing. People showing up with food, people, you know, leaving a note on your desk, people texting you, all of those things make a huge difference. Grief is inevitable. It's going to happen to all of us. And often I don't know that we think about grief ahead of time. And so if, if, if you've not grieved someone, I stumble over my words there because my brain says, you're probably not even listening if you're not experiencing grief or if you haven't experienced grief. But it could happen. Or maybe you're like me that you think you experience, that you think you do it just fine, but you've never really thought about the people who have died and the impact that it has made and that it has changed you permanently. That maybe those tattoos of grief are like a white tattoo. Have you ever heard of that? There's like white tattoos that you can get. And it's interesting too, because a lot of tattoo artists will not do them because they don't often show up very well. And so, you know, tattoo artists really take pride in their work or they should. I know my tattoo artist is amazing. And so if she's going to do a white tattoo, it's going to be very thoughtfully 
composed and thought out and done well. And so, and when they're done well, they're cool anyways, but maybe it's like that dot of a white tattoo when you have some grief, you know, it definitely changed you, but maybe you're not seeing it permanently loud and bold and big and other deaths are going to feel like you have a sleeve or your whole back tattooed because it's that prominent. AA, and, and I bring up AA because I know a lot of recovering alcoholic addicts and I love them and the program they follow is awesome. And in AA, you work the 12 steps. In grief, you work your grief process. And it's not steps. It's living in it and living through it and becoming who you are without that person, that permanent change. It's like when you get a tattoo, um, it hurts. For sure it does. It's a wound. Grief hurts, right? And you take care of it. You put A&D on it. You make sure that it's clean. You take care of your tattoo. It's a wound. You take care of your grief. And eventually, um, as it heals, you know, there's a moment where I call a tattoo crispy because it's healing and it kind of is scabbing up. Now, it shouldn't be horrifying on that part. Like it shouldn't be like an actual gross scab because then something's wrong. My tattoo artist does such a great job that I have that like crispiness and then I continue to take care of it and wash it and put A&D on it. And, you know, every once in a while you might see a little bit of, um, the ink that kind of sloughs off, but it doesn't, but it's still on there and it's still beautiful. And I'm like looking at the balloons that I got for my memorial tattoo to my mom. And there was a time where some of the black lines from the balloon, I was like nervous because I thought, oh my gosh, is that actually coming off? And nope, it was just, you know, just a little sloughing, I think they call it. And, you know, as I continued to wash it and put A&D on it, it takes care of it. We work through it. That's a lot of tattoo talk just to get to the point on you work through it. In AA, you work the 12 steps and they actually say it works if you work it. And they're talking about the program and they're talking about being diligent and working through it. And it's funny because sometimes I've been to an open AA meeting, which means that if you're not an alcoholic, you're allowed to come in and listen and be part of the group. Even though you are not an alcoholic, you are um, participating. Oh, I can't like, like you are sharing in that person's life or whatever. Most likely it's somebody, you know, and care about, and maybe it's an open meeting where somebody's going to listen. Maybe it's reflection, whatever. The point being is I've been to AA meetings where they say it works if you work it. And then somebody will say, it sucks if you don't. And it's just true. There's always that person that just wants to remind everybody, hey, if you don't work this program, it's going to be awful. And that's truly a lot 
the way that I think about grief. So we go through it, we learn from it, and hopefully we find some good in it. So I ramble and I occasionally repeat stuff and hopefully I'm not sounding like Charlie Brown's teacher to you and I hope you come back for the fourth episode in this series on grief. It is helping me and I thank you for listening and I hope that it is helping you. I am the hippie Christian who cares and you can email me if you would like at hippiechristianwhocares at gmail.com. I say it wrong all the time, but I promise you, it's hippiechristianwhocares at gmail.com. And hippie is spelled H-I-P-P-I-E. So share this with somebody you know that might be going through grief for the first time or having a hard time grieving, you can't do it wrong. And when you, when we share and when we comfort others as a result of us being comforted, that makes God happy. And, you know, it really is about loving God and loving people. So please come back next time. And like I said, Hopefully, you don't think of me as Charlie Brown's teacher. But that's a little bit of a hint of next week's session. Come back.